0: The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production.
1: What's up guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles and listening to the Two-Man Power Trip.
0: Oh my God, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast.
2: This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip.
1: This is Jimmy Van, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people and my
0: brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there, this is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me?
1: (laughs) Well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. See, you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of... Kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, and, uh. hey man what's up guys this is Homicide. oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling
0: They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, hall of famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Jazz! The Two-Man Power Trip!
1: Well, be that as it may, that political statement from Kevin Sullivan, he was. Uh, received that accommodation from President Ronald Reagan, the actwork Georgia native, who elevates a double-tough Pat Rose, a veteran. Nice drop kick by Ranger Ross, and Rose scoots to the outside. But the Ranger up leaps over the top. Ross, turn around. And big right hand right to the face in a second one. What a... Oh, good kick. move. Man, he nailed him right there. That was a great combat kick. Got him right in the face. Ranger Ross is victorious on TBS. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: the winner of the event, Ranger Ross. Ranger Ross. I'm going to be talking to the Midnight Express here in just a moment. We'll take another look at it here in slow motion. There's that combat kick. He nails him right on the button. Ranger Ross with a victory. All right, this is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good old friends over at Blue Chew. Head on over to BlueChew.com right now and stay tuned a little bit later on and find out how you can save on your first order of Blue Chew by hanging on into the middle of today's episode with our guest, Ranger Ross. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only J.P. John Paz. And John, like I said, we're joined today by another rare one. As former WCW star, Ranger Ross joins us on this program. And Ranger Ross will be a part of the gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina. You're hearing a lot about the gathering on the two-man power trip as of late. He will be paired with K&S WrestleFest, our good old buddies, Ken and Steve at what may be the biggest convention of the summer, could be one of the biggest conventions of 2019. And Ranger Ross, no doubt a rare appearance, not only uh, from the autograph perspective, but also from the podcast perspective. And we are very happy to have him on the air with us tonight. So, John, as we kind of roll into this interview, you were able to sit down with Ranger Ross, and I know it's one of those guys in your WCW wheelhouse you could probably rattle off, about 10 matches without even blinking that you remember from the Ranger Ross era of WCW, but kind of tell us what we have to look forward to today in this episode and a nice detailed interview with Ranger Ross.
2: Got a lot of great stuff. Obviously the WCW part will be a major, major part talking about not only his debut in 1989, but the Ranger Ross character, him repelling from the ceiling what went wrong what went right if anything did go right we get into the iron chic we get into the fort bragg clash of the champions we talk about a lot of different things in his wcw run but you're going to be very very interested to know about his post wrestling career and what happened after his wrestling career was over and it's one of those topics where i wasn't really sure if we were allowed to bring it up at first so I asked Ken from KNS, who obviously set up this interview, and he will be a part of the gathering with k So that's, a, you know, obviously the, the tie-in there. So when I, I said that to him, oh, can we kind of bring up something that happened in his post-wrestling career? He said, yes, he actually wants you to bring it up. And I was surprised by it. But then when we start talking about it and how he basically, and, and I think he's out there and a lot of people probably should know this, robbed a bank, literally went in with a motorcycle, had a mask on, robbed the bank, took the money, and got away, took his motorcycle and left. Didn't get caught. He got away with the money. And obviously, uh, well, how do you know the story? Well, he turns himself in, crazily enough, and then obviously goes to jail for eight years and this happens. So I wasn't sure if it was one of those topics where I should bring it up, shouldn't bring it up. Does he want to talk, not want to talk about it? So I asked Kenny Kenson, yes, he wants to talk about it. And when I do talk about it in the interview with him, I realized why he wants to talk about it and a kind of a life lesson a learning lesson and how he turned it into a positive thing. So that is a really, really interesting part of the interview, a little bit surprising his answers to it and how it was a positive, but it's such an interesting story, especially if you really look into the bank robbery and, and him being in a quote unquote max bandit and this motorcycle bandit and this whole thing that happened post wrestling. And I guess when he was a little bit depressed and a little bit down the dumps and why it happened how it happened, and we go through the whole story, and it's very, very interesting. And I just thought, like, wow, you know, I'm surprised not only does he want to talk about it, he kind of turns it around it and really somehow turns a huge positive out of that gigantic negative.
0: When I look at the run sheet and I see the stuff that's going to be talked about or some of the topics that may be talked about and I see that on there, right off the bat it stands out to me as like an X. Like, okay, yeah, that's part of it we're not going to cover. And trust me, we've had many guests on this show where there's controversial things that happened in their life outside of wrestling that they vehemently don't want to talk about. And it's actually somewhat of a rare occurrence where they say, hey, you know what, anything uh, goes, nothing's off limits, You know, we can talk about whatever. So the first thing I remember, you know, kind of thinking was, well, we're not talking about that. And when you said, no, you know, they they want to talk about this. I was very, uh, very surprised. But I think that's the kind of stuff that needs to get out there because, yeah, we can kind of all listen to the wrestling stories and find out some really cool stuff. And every perspective somebody has on wrestling is going to be different. But this is real life. And for him to be so uh, open and uh, adamant about wanting to share that story, I think that tells you a lot about the man who, uh, who was Ranger Ross.
2: Yeah, it shows you his character and what he's all about and what a great guy he really is. And basically, you know, turned his life around somehow. When you think of that, and, and maybe robbing the bank and getting away with it, you think most people would probably never bring it up again, or you know, go into hiding, or they would totally avoid that at all costs. But to turn yourself in and then say it was the best thing that happened and kind of turn it into a positive—that is very, very crazy. And, and you know, you think of the wild world of wrestling and all the crazy characters and all the strange guys you see—you don't kind of hear too many stories where it's like, okay, they did something terrible. They completely turned their life around from it and they actually was like well that was the best thing that ever happened to me you you usually hear like oh you know that kind of uh, was the worst thing that ever happened to me and I turned it around so very very interesting kind of mindset on his part and showed you what kind of guy he is and really really made a huge mistake and it ended up making or turning that mistake in, into a huge huge positive so that is just one just one of the very very interesting things that we talk about in the interview also Something that really stuck out to me outside of the WCW stuff, of course, which I absolutely love. But some other stuff is lawsuit against WCW and his time in all Japan Pro wrestling and his friendship and relationship with none other than Abdullah the Butcher.
0: Oh, yeah. And there's not that many people that actually put those words in a sentence because he <laughs> seems to be a kind of a guy who, yeah, he was a locker room mainstay, Abdullah, and the territories he went to, but it doesn't seem like you think of friends when you think of a guy like Abdullah. You think of the fork, you think of the blood, you think of all that stuff, and then obviously the post-years of what's been going on with Abdullah. But yeah, that is a really cool connection here. Um, But what was it that really drew the two of them together and why uh, they were able to kind of make that connection?
2: Well, it's interesting. For whatever reason, they were friends. They lived in a a very close vicinity in, in Georgia, and they were very, you know, I guess... You wouldn't say, you know, close, maybe proximity to each other. That's why they're friends. But it's just one of those things where certain guys have certain chemistry with each other. They live by each other, just happenstance, which was great. And Abdullah uh, trusted him and, and he liked him and he needed somebody to do a tour of Japan and they kind of spent a lot of time in the flight together, a lot of time, you know, driving the roads together, driving the buses on those tours, and they created a, a great bond and a great friendship. It's one of those things where it's like Abdullah legend of Japan needs somebody to go over there with him. He needed somebody to trust and Ranger Ross was very, very trustworthy at this point and became buddies with him. It's like you said, it's one of those things like you don't hear too much that the guy is uh, you know, duel the Butcher, you think of this you know, crazy person, but you don't think of like, oh, wow, this guy has all these friends outside the business. And Ranger Ross, oddly enough, was one of his very, very close friends.
0: That uh, That is really cool. But we are all here for the wrestling stories. Let's hear some of them. Let's get those uh, JP keys to the game. What can we look forward to? Uh, give me a good wrestling anecdote that we can kind of key in for this interview. I love that
2: they bring him in, right, and they, they – He's you know a legitimate Army Ranger. They want to use that to their advantage. He's going to be Ranger Ross. They're going to have him repel from the ceiling at the, the Superdome. They can do all this other stuff. But when you hear the story of how WWE flubbed it up and they missed the most important thing of him repelling down and this and that, I just love that because it's like. They're going to put all this effort into it. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to bring him in, you know, a few days early, and he's going to show them how he's going to do it safely and, and rappel down from the ceiling. And it, there's going to be no worries. And he's done it, uh, you know, a few hundred times before. And he's been in combat, and he, you know, he's been doing uh, jumps as far as in combat. This is going to be nothing. And, and they end up screwing it up. And it's just like one of those things. Like, wow, that would have been awesome if they would have got it from the time he started to, to repel to all the way down. And, and that's just a kind of a funny story, but a really good story when you delve into it, where he was going as a character, where he was going as Ranger Ross at WCW, the Iron Sheik feud, kind of them having clashes the champions at Fort Bragg about how that was going to basically, you know, it was going to be more about him than it really ended up being, which is surprised about and kind of, in wcw a lot of empty promises and obviously that which we talked to uh, talked to him about in the interview ends up leading to a lawsuit as well so very very interesting stuff there i just love the fact that they're going to make this big deal out of ranger Ross you know they're going to do this thing repelling from the ceiling and basically which we'll talk about in the interview you'll love this story they end up missing it
0: that's crazy but it's not you know i can't say it's too crazy we think of all those uh, shenanigans that went on in that era of wcw think of the Freebirds coming out and lip-syncing to the missed audio you know it's one of those things like <laughs> it happened i mean you know come on it's early 90s technology you know some of these guys didn't uh, have their their finger on the uh, the switcher in the truck it's okay we'll give it a pass it was uh, a different era of pro wrestling but yeah the stuff with the lawsuit that's uh, compelling compelling stuff and a great uh, look into a guy again you don't hear much so that's why he's on this show. So it's a perfect, uh, perfect mix. So John, wrap it up here if you can, and throw it on over to uh, Ranger Ross, and we'll uh, we'll get this uh, episode here on the road. We'll hit you with some two man power trip of wrestling business, and we will see you at the gathering. August uh, what is this fifteenth through the eighteenth. It's a, a four day spectacular. Uh, down there in Charlotte, North Carolina. We will be there in full force, and it's going to be uh, an amazing, amazing time. So let's hit you with some business and get it on over to Ranger Ross.
2: Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook.
0: Follow us on Twitter
2: at Two Man Power Trip and at Rasslin Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane, Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former two-time SCW World Tag Team Champion, as well as a former DSW World Heavyweight Champion, he is a former WCW Superstar, He is Ranger Rock! Please enjoy. Right now is a former WCW superstar. You may know him as a former DSW World Champion and a two-time CSW World Tag Team Champion. He is, of course, Ranger Ross. Ranger, welcome to the Two Man Power Trip. Well,
1: thank you so much for me being on the Two Man Power Trip. <laughs> it's a plump pleasing pleasure as well as a privilege.
2: Nice, <laughs> and we're so happy to have you on. Obviously, a very rare guest and a very rare get. And down at the gathering of the weekend of August the 17th, you'll be at the Charlotte Hilton University Hotel and, of course, Charlotte, North Carolina, part of K&S WrestleFest. And, of course, you can go to kswrestlefest.weebly.com for all your pre-order information. What's it like getting back out there at the autograph scene?
1: Well, you know, um, I go out and I do a lot of – public speaking and uh, motivational speaking uh, to young kids. I was just in uh, Dalton uh, two weeks ago speaking to the uh, foster kids. They bring foster kids in from eight counties. So I'm still out there, but just not on a large scale, you know, uh, doing what I can, you know, to uh, try to uh, give people uplifting spirits, you know, just try to help people out and get out and meet the people and signing autographs and talking to people to encourage them, you know, whatever needs to be done. That's what I do.
2: Now, is the best part of kind of doing that is connecting with these people and kind of making an impact on their life?
1: Oh, of course. I mean, um, you know, seeing these kids that are in these situations of no fault of their own and, you know, they and foster care, and then, you know, other kids are going to summer camps. And so they have this summer camp for foster kids, and I support that very much and go up every year and talk to them and uh, encourage them, you know, let them know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, also I I do go out and do some autograph signing, you know, at some of the wrestling events, you know. Um, And it's so cool to go out and people – remember you you know Oh yeah (laughs) you know after you've been out of the business for a while and uh, to get out and uh, you know these people come up and uh, want you to sign autographs of pictures that you took with them 30 years ago now that is so cool
2: That is awesome, and it's pretty cool that these people not only remember you, but they have very fond memories of you, and they love you, and they want to meet you. They want to, you know, get your autograph, get your picture. That's got to be pretty uh, rewarding in some sort of way.
1: Uh, Yeah, it is, and 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 you know what? It's also uh, very rewarding for me uh, because you know people support you. That's a huge thing that people uh, they saying, "Look, I support you." I appreciate you. I, you was uh, inspiration in my life. I used to love to watch you wrestle, and I love the way you did this and did that. You know that that's huge, especially after you know a long period of time. And then you know, likewise, you know, I go out and um, see some of the wrestlers that I used to wrestle with, or uh, people that I haven't seen in a long time. Some of them I never met before, and you have to understand. I was a huge wrestling fan before I became a wrestler. And uh, and it's so good to see some of these guys that I used to be, you know, looking up to. And then there's an old saying said that my hero became my friend.
2: <laughs> hmm. so, yep.
1: So, so that's what I want to be. I want to be their friend. You know, if I was their hero or somebody they looked up to, i like to become their friend, you know. So it, mm-hmm. it, it works both ways because I, I get a chance to, uh, you know, see some of the wrestlers that I haven't seen or some that I haven't met, and get to tell them how much I enjoy them. And you know, the thing is, is that when I first started in the business, I didn't want to, you know, lead on the people. Hey, look, you know, I was a huge fan, but now I'm out there. I want to take pictures with them. I want to get autographs from them because mm-hmm. I'm still a fan. I'm the I'm I'm the biggest fan you could ever find. I was a wrestling fanatic when I was growing up, you know, following wrestling, you know, as a kid. And now get the you know, some of my heroes became my friends. So I, I'm I'm the most blessed guy you ever meet in the world.
2: Now who was your like go to guy, who was your favorite?
1: Oh man, let, let me tell you something. When I was growing up, Dick Slater was the man. He was the man, and I got a chance to meet him, I got a chance to be friends with him, got a chance to talk to him, learn from him. You know, I know he's passed away, but I'll tell you what, you know, I was a huge Dick, Dick Slater fan.
2: <laughs> huge. That is a good one, and kind of a, a not, a, I would say, a rare one or somebody that a lot of the fans wouldn't know, but I feel like they definitely should know. Uh, but, you know, usually hear, oh, uh, you know, Ric Flair, Terry Funk, Dusty Rhodes, Dick Slater. that That's a good one. I like that one.
1: <laughs> well, that was quite a few. And, and, listen, Bob Orton, Jr., dude, that was the best of the best right there. I got a chance, you know, watching Bob Orton, you know, from afar. And then when I, you know, got into the business, I got a chance to work with Bob Orton, Jr. Brother, I thought I died and went to heaven. Hmm. <laughs> and And I can tell you this. It was worth the price of a mission because that dude could wrestle. Don't let nobody tell you no difference. That dude was one of the best. It was like riding in a Cadillac working with him.
2: Nice, definitely yeah. one of the smoothest workers, one of the <laughs> best workers there ever was. That's that's for damn sure.
1: And see, you have to understand. When I was growing up, I I could look through and I could tell who was the good wrestlers. I, I watched, you know the. Technique and 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 how they did things and who and even before I got in the business, I know who was the good workers and who was who was good at what they did, and I I would watch them, study them, and, and try to imitate and emulate what they did. And so, you know, I, like I said, I'm the luckiest guy in the world.
2: <laughs> now. The thing is with you, which is so interesting, usually people have the gimmick, you know, this guy, you know, there was a guy, Sergeant Butterly Parker was never really in the military. You know, there's different guys, but you really were, Ranger Ross, you really were a United States Army Ranger.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I, I've seen some guys that was in the business that, you know, never were in the military and stuff like that, but yes, I was. I was an Army Ranger for eight years. I have uh, 253 parachute jumps, uh, one combat jump. i uh, been to combat three times. Um, as a matter of fact, did one of the lowest military parachute jump in history in the combat in, um, on the island of Grenada, which was the lowest military parachute jump in history at 500 feet. That's the lowest anyone ever jumped. And I was on the... On, I was actually the fifth person to parachute in on the island. So, yes, I was actually an
2: Army Ranger for eight years. That's got to be pretty damn scary. You know, Just thinking about that, it's like, oh, my God, Like, uh, it's got to be a frightening, frightening thing.
1: Well, listen, i I got to tell you, and, and I'll tell anybody this, if you get ready to jump out of an airplane and you're not feeling some kind of way about it, I really don't want to jump with you because I think you're crazy, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. there should be a little bit of fear in there. Now I'm not, I'm not talking scared, you know, terrified, need clinging together stuff like that, but that should be a a degree of fear because you have to understand, man made this parachute on my back and man have screwed up a few things in their life.
0: (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. not,
1: it's not a natural thing to do. Even though I have 253 parachute jumps, every one of them to me was you know like, okay i got to make sure i do this make sure i do that you know i'm a little worried about this or whatever but you know yeah i i i'll be the first one to tell you that uh i i enjoyed it but you know still you know before jump you get that anxiety and you know just like anything else but you have to work your way through it
2: it's just a kind of a crazy thing and you think about being an Army Ranger, doing the jump, and being in Grenada, and being in combat, and then, you know, you're in the wild world uh, of wrestling. Does that craziness, and, you know, it's, it's almost kind of crazy to say, but does that prepare you at all for the crazy, wild world of professional wrestling?
1: Well, I think what prepared me more for professional wrestling
2: were,
1: was that I, I was an amateur wrestler. As um, a matter of fact, I was trying to go to the Olympics in 1980, and um, as an amateur wrestler. And I think what prepares you more for professional wrestling was uh, like being in the Rangers, you get a certain amount of confidence that, you know, hey, if anybody can do it, I can do it. If a normal man can do it, I can do it. I can do it better. And so I, I used to pride myself on trying to do things right as far as you know, the different moves and everything, and I would just practice and practice and practice. You know, they always say, you know, practice, 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 make perfect. And I say, no, practice only makes improvement because you can always do your best. So you just have to keep at it, you know. And anything that's worth obtaining is not going to be easy. If if being a millionaire was easy, everybody would be one. Mm -hmm. If being a doctor was easy, everybody would be one. Take, if, if being a wrestler was easy, everybody would be one. But thing is, is, you have to put in the work. That's that's the difference. There is putting in the work, and uh, you know, you, it's just not something you just wake up in the morning and say, "Oh, I'm a professional wrestler," and you think you could just go out and do it. No, it's not that. You, if you put in the work, your confidence level will get up. And that was one thing that I learned from the Rangers mm-hmm. is being confident and putting in the work and then uh, it it makes everything so much better when you have that, that training and
2: that confidence. Now, did you, obviously you're a big fan. Did you want to get in wrestling or did they recruit you into wrestling?
1: No, no. Um, let me tell you this. This is, this is my philosophy and what I, I tell kids that I speak to, I speak all over the United States talking to kids is that when I was in the second grade, uh, they was going around the class asking everybody what did they want to be. And back then, firemen and astronauts was at the top of the list. Everybody wanted to be a fireman and an astronaut. But when they got to me, I told them I wanted to be a wrestler. And everybody was like, what? And And I had a teacher, and she said, that if you want to do something, you have a dream of it. She said, but if you write it down, it becomes a goal. So I wrote it down. I still have that piece of paper from the second grade of what I want to be. So I tell kids nowadays, listen, whatever it is that you want to be, go home tonight and write it down. I want you to write it down on your notebook. Want you write it down on a sticky note, put it on your mirror. once you put it in your notebook, your book bags, so or wherever you go that you can see it every day, and make that your goal. When you write it down, it becomes a goal. Any other thing else is just a dream. It's just something that you want to do, but when you write it down, it's a goal. I'm not even going to charge y'all for that. <laughs> That's on the house. <laughs> I love it.
2: Great, (laughs) great philosophy there. So, obviously, you know, you want to be a wrestler. How does it actually become, you know, the dream, the goal? How does it actually come to fruition?
1: Well, let me tell you this. Okay, I wrestled in high school at 98 pounds as a freshman. I didn't have to make weight. I was under 98 pounds. Most people were running around the gyms with sweatsuits and sweat bags and, and, and a glad bag, trash bags on trying to lose weight. I'm standing there eating a Hershey bar because I was underweight. I was very small. So when I graduated from high school, I was 143 pounds. I knew that when I watched wrestling on TV, I saw no one weighing 143 pounds. No one. So I was like, okay, okay. my goal is still to be a wrestler. How am I going to get there? So this is what my plan was. My plan was to join the Army, join the Army Rangers, because as I looked through all of the recruiting stuff and all this, and they said, hey, Army, if you can make it as an Army Ranger, you can do anything you want to do in life. No obstacle would be too big or anything. So I joined the Army Rangers, And after four years, I realized I still wasn't big enough. When I finished my fourth year, at that time, I was weighing right at 200 pounds. I said, okay, I'm still not big enough. So I re-enlisted for four more years. So at the end of that four years, I got out, I was weighing like 228 pounds. I'm like, okay, I'm at the point now where I need to get out and go do this. So what I did was the last year of um in the in the Rangers, I was stationed in Savannah, Georgia. They would have wrestling down at the Savannah Civic Center. I would go down, watch the wrestling, and when I was I looked down and I saw some of the wrestlers standing by the door. I went down and I talked to this guy. His name was Pistol Paz Watley. And I told him what my goals were to be a wrestler. And how am I going to get there? And he said, well, listen, there's a guy named Thunderbolt Patterson, who's one of my favorite growing up. And he said that he's opening a school in Atlanta. And he told me how to get a hold to him, how to contact him. So I came home one weekend up to Atlanta, went over and I met with Thunderbolt Patterson and told him what my goals were. And he said, Okay, I'm just getting ready to open a school, and uh, if you want, you know, I'll train you. So uh, I, I told him when I would be back. I went back to the army and I took thirty day vacation. I came up, I trained with Thunderbolt for thirty days, and I had to make a decision there because I'm still in the army whether to get out of the Army and pursue this wrestling thing or stay in the Army and do 20 years. So I said, okay, this is it. It's either sink or swim. So I went back to the Army, and I got out of the Army, moved back up to Atlanta, trained with Thunderbolt Patterson for about another few weeks or so, and he ended up having to have a hip replacement. So I went up. And I trained with Nelson Royal up in Morrisville, North Carolina. What a great guy that guy was. He was good. And I trained with Nelson Royal. And there was a couple of guys up there that he was training. Uh, There was a guy named Todd Champion was there. And uh, Gene Anderson's son. I can't remember his first name. And um, another guy they had trained, I think his name was Joe Coltrane. But anyway, uh, I go down to the Charlotte's office and talk to them. And they. Well, let me back up a little bit. I went to Charlotte uh, to Jim Crockett Promotion and told them that I wanted to wrestle. They sent me to um, Morrisville to, uh, to train with um, Nelson Royal and to see if I could work. And I trained with him. And Nelson said, yeah, this kid, he's ready. And I go back, and at the time, <laughs> this is so crazy, I uh, talked to the people at the office in Charlotte again, and they said, well, we can't use you right now because we already have a black guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> They had this guy named Joe Coltrane, and I guess they couldn't have two black guys at that time. I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> and so I came back to Georgia, and I went up, and I trained with, Ted Allen and Ted Allen introduced me to uh, Jody Hamilton who had uh, started uh, deep South championship wrestling and went met with Jody and he took me down to his school down in um, Love Georgia and I went down and trained with him and he said okay kid I want you to be at TV taping on uh, August the 10th at the Cobb Civic Center so my first match was live on TV at the COD Civic Center, almost sold out. <laughs> so that's that was my story. That's how I got into wrestling.
2: No pressure, it, right?
1: <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. So but this was the, the the best part about it was that my first match was with Ted Allen. So that helped a lot because it was somebody I knew, somebody I trained with and and he was so good, and and, and let me tell you, the ironic story behind that. Ted Allen was my first match. Twenty years later, he was my last match.
2: Wow, pretty cool.
1: <laughs> I know it don't get no better than that. <laughs> so that was my. That's how I got into wrestling. So I didn't take the usual path. I guess it, for, for me it was kind of unusual. You know, it was a little different, but it was. It was my story. That's how I got into wrestling.
2: Now, obviously, you're you're in Deep South for a while. You you win the world title. You, you know, you kind of go a bunch of different places. How do you actually end up, you know, kind of back in Jim Crockett Promotions? Actually, at this time, it's going to become very, very soon. It's going to become World Championship Wrestling. How does that happen?
1: Well, um, <laughs> the craziest thing happened. Okay, I work for. Deep South Championship Wrestling, and then I went to Southern Championship Wrestling. Mm -hmm. Wrestling was over in Alabama a brief stint, and uh, I got a call from uh, Jody Hamilton, and he was working in the office at um, WCW, and they wanted me to come down and interview, so I went down and And he told me, he said, look, kid, you know how Jody is. I don't know if you know Jody Hamill. Did you know him?
2: Not personally, but I've heard a a lot of stories about Jody Hamill. Oh, God,
1: nobody could tell a story like Jody. i tell you what, when when we would be in the dressing room, Jody would be telling a story. We would be sitting around like kids, you know, in the second grade, somebody's telling them a story and reading a book. (laughs) Because he could tell a story with all of the details and the The pauses and the emphasis on stuff, he was so good. But anyway, he told me, he said, All right, kid, um, I'm going to take you in. You're going to meet with George Scott, and we're going to sit down and talk and, you know, just listen to what he's got to say. And then, you know, and so, anyway, so we go in the office and uh, talk to um, George Scott. I think I said George Scott, didn't I? But Mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, so we go in, and George Scott uh, wanted me to to come in and work at WCW what they was doing was they had a had the Iron Sheik was there and they wanted me to start a working a program with the Iron Sheik and uh, he told me he said kid you know he said listen I I've been in this business a long time and he was he was the head of WCW at the time he said you know I told Ric Flair about this nature boy thing and it really took off he said kid I'm telling you right now, you could be bigger than Ric Flair. We can, we're gonna do this thing, and he had it all laid out for me. I was like, okay, that sounds good to me. I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> and that's how I got into WCW.
2: And it seemed like with, with the Iron Sheik feud at first, and then kind of repelling to the ring. The first time you know you ever really see that, as far as. Somebody rappelling 300 feet to the ring at the Superdome. That's really the first time that ever happened in wrestling. Obviously, later on, it would happen several times with several different wrestlers. But that just shows you, like, wow, they have big plans for him. Like, wow, look at this, look at that. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing to see, and and, and uh, quite a sight to behold.
1: Well, um, actually, that was my idea uh, because when I was in the Rangers, we did it demonstrations at the Superdome of some of the capabilities of the Rangers and one of them was repelling you know from the top of the Superdome and so when the Sheik and I we had started our program you know around the country and we was going to work in New Orleans at the Superdome so I went to them um, uh, at that time was Jim Hurd he was the head of WCW and I told him I said listen I want to do this Australian repel from the top of the superdome. He said, What's that? And I said, Well, I'm gonna tie a rope around my waist, I'm gonna hold the American flag in one hand, and I'm gonna hold a rope in the other one and I'm gonna jump off the top of the superdome down to the ring, you know, to repel. He said, Ranger, I don't know we can do that. He said, If we did something like that, he said the insurance alone would be one million dollars at least. And I said, Yeah, but this is gonna be live, right? He said, Yes, and I said, Well, just think. If I mess up and I splatter on the floor, boy, the rate is going to go through the roof. <laughs> hmm,
2: hmm,
1: hmm, hmm. So uh, he said, well, hold on just a minute. So he picks up the phone and he calls up to the 16th floor. I think that's where all the lawyers were at. And he was asking him on the phone, he said, can we get a, a rider or an insurance policy, a rider to – let Ranger do this repel from the top of Superdome. And the guy said, yeah, we could do that. And he said, can we do this? He said, yeah, we could do it." He hung up the phone. He said, okay, Ranger, you're on. What do you need? I said, well, I need some repelling stuff, and I need two Rangers. He said, listen, whatever you want, you go get it. We'll pay for it. So I, I drove down to Fort Benny, got two of my Ranger buddies. I needed one on the top to make sure everything was hooked up, and I need one on the ground to make sure that the rope and everything was straight and uh so um i got so they flew the two rangers from Savannah i mean from uh, Fort Benning Georgia up to Atlanta we met and we flew out to uh New Orleans now we got there a day early they rented the superdome a day early just for me to go in and show the uh, um, the camera guys, the producers, the directors for the uh, show the next day, or how we was going to do this. So, we get to the Superdome. There's nobody in the Superdome but us. So they had a, they had one of the riggers from the Superdome, the guys that knows you know the inside and outs of the Superdome. They had the producers, the directors, and all that stuff from uh, World Championship Wrestling in there. So, and we we had brought on ropes and all that stuff. So anyway, so me and the two rangers and this rigger uh we go, we get on the elevator, takes us up to the fifth floor. We get out of that, we go into this little closet-like room and then we go up these stairs all the way up. We get to the halfway up to the top of the superdome and then you got to walk on a catwalk and it zigzags all the way up to the apex, the very center of the superdome. I'm standing there and this, I'm 6'2". I'm the ceiling was probably about 6'4". So I got my hand on the very top of the Superdome. And the problem is we could not repel from the top of the Superdome because the scoreboard hanged down underneath that. The scoreboard was down probably about 75 feet. So we all had to hook up and repel down to the scoreboard and then tie a rope onto the scoreboard and so we get the rope and everything set up, and all of these producers, directors, and all that stuff and World Championship Wrestling, they standing there on the ground. you got to understand, there's nobody in this Superdome, nobody but us. And I said, okay, are you guys ready? And they said, yeah. And I hooked up that rope, and I jumped, and it's just like I was free-falling, coming down to the ground. I get close to the ground, I slam on the brakes, and, and I stand up on my feet. And the producers and the directors, they said, you are crazy. They said, but what we're going to do is we're going to put a spotlight here. We're going to have a light shining on you here and this, and we can shoot it from this angle and this angle. I'm like, okay. So the next day when before the show, me and the guys, we got there. We got to go this whole routine. It takes about 20, 20, maybe 30 minutes to get to the top of the Superdome, about 20 minutes. So we go back up to the top of the Superdome, we pale down to the scoreboard, and there's a catwalk around the scoreboard. And me and my buddy, we just sat up there. We had some snacks and some drinks and stuff. And then everybody started piling in, coming in for the show. I was the fifth match. So we up there watching the matches from the top of the scoreboard. And then it was when it was my turn, we got the rope and we got everything set up, and they start playing my music. You know, K song go rolling along. So, anyway, they're playing the music, and I'm leaning out. I'm holding the American flag. I'm holding the rope. I'm waiting on the spotlight to hit me. There's no spotlight. The song continues to play. And about halfway through the song, i like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going. And I just jumped. And come down. And if you watch the video, you could hear Michael Hayes and uh, Jim Ross talking, you know, hey, where's Ranger Ross? He's supposed to be doing this and this. So I come repel it down and go into the ring. And we got there the day before, remember, to shoot this Mm -hmm, uh, so they could set everything up. Mm -hmm. And they messed it up. They did not have the spotlight. They did. uh, Two people got fired that day. Because you have to understand, they rented the whole Superdome a day before just so I could do this, so they could see how to shoot it, and they screwed it up. <laughs> That's Unbelievable. why when you watch the when you watch the video of me coming down, you know you hear the song playing about halfway through it, and then when I come down, you the cameras do not pick me up until I'm probably maybe a hundred feet from the uh, from the um, from the floor. So it doesn't pick me up when I'm 225 feet up. It only picks me up about 100 feet from the floor.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Anyway, a couple of guys got fired over that. But, yeah. And then after that, you know, uh, everybody else started doing some of these um, repelling, sliding down to the ring and all that stuff. So I guess I could say I'm like Little Richard. I'm the architect. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you ever watch a little Richard? He said, "I'm the architect of rock yeah. and roll." <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'm the, I guess I'm the architect of uh, high flying and repelling and sliding to the ring or whatever. <laughs>
0: Hey, let's pause one second to tell you all about the benefits of using Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom with a little help from the Triple Threat podcast and the Two Man Power Trip. So listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they are chewable, they work up to twice as fast as any other pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, if you know anything about our show, we've always got to be ready. But with Blue Chew, if you could benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, then Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com, get your first shipment for free when you use the promo code FRANCHISE and just pay $5 shipping again. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and pay just $5 shipping. Again, it's bluechew.com, dot com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and try it for free, courtesy of your friends over at the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling and the Triple Threat Podcast. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring our podcast. Obviously, um, Sting and WCW did it quite famously, and then, unfortunately,
2: obviously, the WWF, did it with Owen Hart it wasn't rigged correctly yeah. they didn't do it right and then obviously you I mean he fell to his death it was the worst part of it and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12 so I mean there's been some repelling, but you're right you were the first one to do it and I guess that's kind of where they got the idea from
1: yes um um I, I I'm just I'm just thinking you know the, the tragic with Owen Hart man that was just that was just sad and but like a, you know i like when Jim Hurd asked me what I needed, the first thing I, I needed was safety. And yes. so I went and got yes. two of the best guys. I don't know how they had their rigging set up there, but I, I had two of the best of the best. And, and you know, you have to understand, your life is in their hands. So uh, my heart goes out to the Hart family for their loss, man. That was that was horrible.
2: Definitely should have never happened. Just what terrible, terrible action, terrible mistake just uh, awful, but, you know, not to, to get it done on a negative note or a sour note or anything, but kind of kind of back to, to you. If they're going to do that for you, obviously they end up screwing it up, but they're kind of going at great lengths, and it seems like you're going to get this big push. What happens after that that they don't kind of, like you said, you know, you're going to be the next flyer, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. How come, you know, what's the next step? How come they're not pushing it further? You know what I mean?
1: Okay. And there's a story behind that, too. All right. now, <laughs> buckle up your seatbelt. Now you ready? I y'all to strap it on. Strap in now. Okay, this is what happened. Okay, the guy that actually brought me in, George Scott. Well, they fired him. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so as soon as I start, you know, making this move and everything start going, uh, they fire him, and then one of the worst things that ever happened to the wrestling business. Was they started this booking committee? I don't know if you're familiar with this, but what they did was they got uh, instead of just one booker, they had—I'm not sure how many they had. Let me let me just try to count. They had um, Ric Flair was on the committee. Um, I think Ole was on the committee. Um, Eddie Gilbert. Um, a couple other people, I think Jim Ross might have been on it, but anyway, they hired, they had these guys that I don't forget if it was five or it was seven. They had a booking committee, okay. But the problem with that was most of these guys was wrestlers, and they was only concerned with pushing themselves. That was the problem. They didn't care about anybody else and it just got if you was in with the crowd, in with the click, then you gotta push. Uh so if you look at that time period, uh you had you had some of the these guys and they, every time they was on T V they was getting a hand raised in the air, they was doing all of this stuff, they was they was making themselves look good. And that's not good for the business. So, once George Scott was gone, they started this booking committee, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. A, you have to understand. I come from being an Army Ranger. Everything was a team. You do it for the team. You know, there's no I in team. So I remember they came to me. We was at the Omni in Atlanta, and they said, "Listen." This is what we're going to do. You're going to work with the Iron Sheik. It's going to have Rip Morgan with him. We're going to do this deal where Rick, uh, uh, um, Rip Morgan, you know, hits you, you know, give you the gimmick in the back of the head, and you fall out in the ring, knocked out. They're going to cover you with the Iranian flag and leave you laying in the ring. Well, you know, I'm not too happy being covered up. With the, with the Iranian flag, but, you know, hey, that's going to get some heat, then let's do it. We did that on a Sunday night. We had TV taping the next day at the uh, Center Stage Theater in Atlanta. So I'm thinking, okay, we're we, all right, now it's time to get some get back. That's what I'm thinking. Well, I go out there and I see the Iron Sheik, he's doing an interview, and he comes out, this is live on TV, he comes out, I want Sting, where is Sting? I am tired of Sting this and Sting that. And I'm like, what? Now, you got to just remember now, I just got covered up with that Iranian flag, and then he comes live on TV the next day talking about he wants Sting. So all that, what I did, was for no
2: reason. Just to to build him up for Sting, yep.
1: Build him up for Sting. He had a match with Sting. I think Sting pinned him in like three or four minutes. So you want to know what happened? (laughs) That's what happened. (laughs)
2: It seems like those booking committees never work. I feel like even current wrestling, they always try to go back to the booking committee. Never seems to work. It never seems to pan out. It always seems like something kind of goes awry. It's just too many cooks in the kitchen.
1: Well, the thing is, is that I don't think the booker uh, should be working. Period. Mm-hmm. No. And and the thing is, is that if you plan in and in, in doing matches. I think it should be planned. You should have, you should have a program laid out for at least three to four weeks so everybody knows what they're doing, where are we starting, where are we going, where are we going to end up at? But if you just do it just for that and then say, okay, what we're going to do, and then after you do this gimmick, then the next week you've got to try to figure out now what you're going to do. No, it should be planned out. You know, when you, when you watch a soap opera. Uh, you watching the show, they're already planning for what's going to happen next month, and that's the same way it should be with wrestling. You, you should have it planned out systematically, oh, uh, and and have a reason, 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 a good reason and a logic behind. It. You know, that booking yeah. committee. Well, that was one of the worst things that ever happened, ever. I saw a lot of guys that had so much potential. I just got, you know, pushed to the side because they wasn't in with the crowd. I mean, in with the booking committee wasn't one of their favorites. And I I saw guys that didn't have that much talent but was in with the booking committee, and they got big push.
2: Quite as fortunate when something like that happens. And then all of a sudden, like you said, this booking committee happens, and then, you know, you're losing to Butch Reed and, and Great Muda, and you're kind of going on a little bit of, of a losing streak. And did they ever kind of say, like, oh, you know, we got plans for you, or we got this coming up? Like, what was, like, kind of the next step as, as far as what they wanted to do with you, you know, post-clash and post-Chic and, 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 and you know, post the, the whole Iranian flag thing? What was, like, the next plan?
1: Well, actually they didn't have one, and then uh after the booking committee had just kind of almost ran things in the ground um, they uh um, they didn't renew my contract. my contract was up they didn't renew it, so I left and i went uh went to Japan and worked up in um uh, North Atlantic Championship Wrestling and all of that, and then they called me back. Uh, a little crazy thing happened. At the uh, uh, that was when the um, Iraqis invaded Afghanistan. I mean, uh, uh, Kuwait, and they wanted. They called me up and they said, "Hey, look, we want to talk to you," and they. Brought me back, and I told them, I said, "Listen, I'm not going down that same road again." And uh, they brought me back, and they wanted me to do, um, they wanted me to do this uh, repel. They wanted me to repel from the top of the CNN Center. We was gonna do a wrestling match in the atrium of the CNN Center, and this repel here was gonna be. It was going to be pretty close to like um, three hundred and something feet, and so we went up and looked at it, and then somehow or another the security at the c n n center um they wouldn't let them have a wrestling that so anyway, uh, they gave me a contract, brought me back, and we had um we had at that time we had um uh, Dusty Rose was in the office, and Cowboy Bill Watts was in the office, and so we started going in a different direction. And then, next thing you know, they're gone. <laughs> so, hmm. every you know, every time you start going, and then something else happens. So,
2: there was so yeah, much. Uh, different leadership in WCW. I mean, it was crazy. Like, you know, Kemp Fry made it. You know, made an appearance and was running things for a little bit. Then Bill Watts was back, and you know, Dusty was in charge for a little bit. And Flair and, and Jim Hurt. There was uh, too too much uh, of uh, inner strife and inner turmoil, and too many bosses. You know what I mean? Like, there's not. It there wasn't one Vince McMahon for a while. Obviously, Bischoff would come later on, but it, it was. It's crazy how many different kind of bosses they had in such a short amount of time.
1: Yeah, and all of them had they had their own ideas, and they had their own uh, uh, people that they wanted to push. And you know, it, you was either in or you wasn't. And uh, it was just, it was just, it was actually some bad time, And then, and I can tell you this: the the during that time, the um, attitude, the sentiment of the 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 guys that was uh, wrestling. A lot of them was very, very just angry. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, there was a lot of anger. I I can tell you right now, there was a lot of unhappy people running around there, you know. And And it was because because there was no leadership. I mean, that's one thing in, in being a leader. A leader is someone that should inspire you, you know. Uh, or, or encourage you, or somebody to get the job done, somebody that you want to follow. We didn't have that at WCW. We just had a whole people, whole bunch of people that was just out front. Because you're out front do not mean you're a leader. We didn't right. have
2: leaders. That was
1: the biggest problem. And, the biggest it's
2: problem. Cr- and it's crazy because there was so much talent there. At that point, yeah. you think about it, I mean, Ron Simmons, Terry Funk, uh, you know, kind of in and out, Sid Vicious, Luger, Flair, Sting, the Steiners, so much talent, the Freebirds, Dance Spivey, I mean, there were so many good guys, and it just, like you said, the leadership wasn't there, then the kind of booking got all whacked and all over the place because they would keep moving around the leadership, and then this guy, like this guy, so this guy would get pushed, it was just uh, too crazy, and, you know, you're there in WCW, kind of there, then you then you're not, and then you know they tell you they're going to be this, and then they change the plans. Was it almost like you were happy to be you know departing from WCW at this point? Just there was just too much going on.
1: No, actually, actually, I was I was I was like maybe somebody's going to get this thing figured out, um, but it. I, I you have to understand, I love the business. I love the business. I am one of the few guys that I tell you right now. I love the business. I loved it. I mean, it was it was good, but you know, at the same time, you got that frustration going on. You know, okay, they Mm -hmm. say they're going to do this, and they say so. I'm trying to look past that and thinking that somebody's going to come in here eventually and turn it around. But in the meantime, you know, I'm on this real bad roller coaster, you know, so. It was just, it was more frustrated than anything. The, the, the reason being, I'm I'm not bragging. I'm, trust me, I want you to hear me. Now I'm not bragging. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was legit. I was legit. My my wrestling ability, my gimmick was legit. But they would bring somebody in and make up a gimmick and give them a push. When you got something that's right here in front of you that's legit, you know? I mean, I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And I guess because I didn't fit into their little clique. And I, and trust me, I had no beef with anybody. I wasn't one of these guys that uh, had a beef with anybody or people was mad at me. As a matter of fact, I got along with everybody. So I, I just didn't understand. And I saw guys that was walking around there that they would tell them to do something. They wouldn't do it. And they get mad and, and all this stuff. They never had it. In, whatever they asked me to do, I did it.
2: I now did you it. later, oh, sorry to catch up. You later filed a lawsuit against them. What was that? A value? It was a discrimination lawsuit. What was like the details of that?
1: Well, um, here was the deal. They, the way they treated the, the blacks was totally different than the way they treated the white. And I'm not one to scream racism. I am not that guy. I am not that guy. I think if you, if you could do the job, I don't care what color you are, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but it was pretty obvious as to what they was doing. And, uh, and so it just got to the point where I had a contract with them. And uh, first of all, there was a contract dispute because I had signed for X amount of dollars, and they only paid me half of that. So they was doing me this way, and then at the same time, they uh, – wasn't using me in the right way. And then on top of that, I understand this business of work, but on top of that, they would bring guys in. I had a... Okay, let let me go back a little bit. I had an idea, and I went in and talked to Dusty. I wanted to do this rap thing. Okay? And... I went to the studio, paid my own money, and did a rap song. Brought it back, gave it to him. And they took my idea and brought in another guy to do my gimmick. You remember the guy? Was it PNN News?
2: PN News. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was my gimmick. Wow. Never knew that. That's crazy. That,
1: That was my gimmick. I went to the studio, paid my money, recorded rap song to to show them what I wanted to do because I saw this rap thing was really taking off, and we didn't have anything like that it, they didn't want to use the the ranger gimmick and well, while I had another gimmick up my sleeve, you know, and they took that and gave it to him to do, and he wasn't even black. <laughs> <laughs> So, hello.
2: Yeah. Wow. I I never knew that. That's just crazy. And I, I never knew that that. I you know, obviously I remember Yo Baby, Yo Baby, that whole Pn News thing. I just don't, mm-hmm. r- never knew that you were kind of the one that set that up. That is so crazy that they kind of would just go underneath you and be like, well, you know what? Or go around you. And say, you know what? They're just gonna give this guy this gimmick and you know, screw you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I didn't know what else to do.
2: Now, you know, obviously the, you, you get the lawsuit against them. You kind of depart wrestling for a little bit, but you, like you said, you do make some stints in Japan and all Japan pro wrestling with Giant Baba, which at this point is, is kind of just basically on fire. I mean, they had so much talent. They were just putting on amazing shows and amazing matches. How would you get into the all japan pro wrestling team was it abdul the butcher that kind of brought you in or how did you get in there yes
1: well abdul the butcher um we had been friends for years so he had uh he called me up and told me that asked me if i wanted to go to japan as his partner and i said sure so we got all the paperwork and stuff and we'll send it over to um uh, God, I can't remember the guy name. We sent it over and they said, okay, we want you to come on this date and you're going to be Abdullah's partner. And we went over and we we went at it. Uh, and it was a good, uh, I had a good group of people with me. And man, you know what just reminded me? I have a picture that no one has seen. It's, it's, it's the coolest picture you ever seen. Um. Uh, there's a picture. We was, we was all in the dressing room and I had my little camera and I said, hey, listen, I want to take a picture. So I had this kid in there and I said, take this picture for me. There's Abdullah the Butcher. He's sitting in a chair and there's Dustin Rose, Mark Scarpa, Davy Boy, John Smith, Dr. Death, uh, Stan Hansen, um Bam Bam Bigelow, Terry Bam Bam Gordy and uh Doctor Death. All of us is in this one picture. Abdullah the Butcher sitting down and we all kinda of like sitting in this lap, sitting around it.
2: Quite a uh insane, insane amount of talent in that picture. <laughs> Jeez Louise <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so I did, and I, I I talked to Davy Boy Smith's uh, son. I saw him at Cauliflower Alley a few months ago, and I was like, I told him I told him about the picture, and I said I'm gonna send it to you. And I and I couldn't find it, and I got home and I found it now, and I'm like, you know, if I send him this picture, it's probably gonna be all over the internet because it's a unique group of guys, all of us sitting in Abdullah's or <laughs> 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 sitting around and kneeling around in you know all of. us. And it's the coolest picture you'll ever see. <laughs> so that's, anyway, the, b- back to it. That's how I that's got awesome. To Japan. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I was over there, and and, and uh, me and Doctor Def, we we trained together. And man, what a great guy! And Tiger Jetting seen Oh, Tiger's in the picture too. I forgot. Oh about my him. God!
2: Another guy throw in there. Geez, another awesome guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, me and Tiger, man, we we hung out together all the time in Japan, man. And uh, he knew uh, some of the guys that was in the mafia thing. You know, it's pretty big over there in Japan. These guys come pick us up in a big uh, Mercedes and take us to these private clubs and stuff. <laughs> man, they treated us like we were royalty. <laughs> so that uh, is
2: yeah. That's awesome that you can kind of be in there at the basically the height of all Japan Pro Wrestling and kind of the height of Japanese wrestling and be in there with those guys. And just think about that picture. It's like the who's who and the the great talent and obviously all the, the gaijin, so to speak, in Japan at that point. Wow, I yeah. mean, you can't get any better than that talent level.
1: Well, what happened is, is at one point, like um, um, Stan Hansen and... Dan Hansen and a couple of other guys, they was over with the other um, Japan wrestling. Mm-hmm. And New they Japan. Came over yep. with us. Yeah, they came over with us for the last two weeks. So we had a we had a good group with us, and then all of a sudden they come over from the other side. They worked the other side for two weeks, and they come over with us. And, man, and I'm sitting there, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a huge wrestling fan. And I just, like, I got to get this picture. And they all, you know, yeah, let's do it. And we all just got together and took this picture. And I'm the only one that has it.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was looking at the picture uh, a month ago and I'm looking, I'm like, half of these people are dead.
2: Mm, sad.
1: I'm look, I'm looking at it. Dr. Death is gone. Bam Bam's gone. Terry Bam Bam Gordy is gone. Bam Bam Bigelow has gone. Um, Davy Boy has gone. And it was somebody else. I can't remember who it was. But I'm like, man, half of these guys are dead. It's like, wow. That put things in perspective.
2: Mm-hmm. Sad. So sad. The legends of wrestling. Yes. Wow. Now, obviously, you know, there's, the wrestling career and everything you did in the wrestling career. But I wanted to bring this up and I know it's kind of obviously a down point, but in 1996, you did get arrested with and charged with bank robbery. And I guess it's kind of the infamous, the story down in in Georgia, the motorcycle bandit and unidentified man kind of, I guess, in a Honda motorcycle, robs a bank, disappears, can't find him, but you surrendered yourself. What is you know the whole kind of the backstory to that? Like what what kind of was going through your mind and kind of what really went down as far as that? Okay,
1: you got your seatbelt still buttoned up?
2: Yes. Oh yeah, okay. I'm ready. Just
1: make sure you got your seatbelt on. Okay. At that time, I had built this real nice house. I was married, and wrestling, I had messed up my shoulder. And I had to have shoulder surgery. And they went in and they cut off like an inch of my collarbone. It was all jacked up. So anyway, so I wasn't able to wrestle. And I just got to the point where, you know, you, you're dealing with a lot of stuff. And, and you know, here's the deal. I um, started going through a divorce. And there was a small child involved. And uh, there's no excuse for it, but, you know, I I went into a little bit of a depression. And and I'm sitting there, you know, here I am going to lose my kid, losing my house. And I had probably 10 friends that I could have called and, you know, got enough money to, you know, sustain me to get, you know, get myself out of this mess, but that foolish pride kicked in. And then I got thinking, hey, look, I'm an Army Ranger. We either find a way or we make a way. So I said, well, where's the money at? It's in the bank. I had this little Honda motorcycle and I just uh, put on this helmet and just go in there and just demand the money. You don't need no weapon or anything because they train to give you the money. So that's what I did. Went to the bank, Told him to give me the money, jumped on the motorcycle, and left. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And nothing could beat you up worse than yourself or your conscience. And so I'm like, okay, this is wrong. This is so wrong. So I went and Called my lawyer, met with him, told him what I did, and he knew a friend of his that was an FBI agent, he called him, and we met at the office, and I turned myself in. So, um, the the thing is, is that one of the worst things that happened to you in your life actually turned out to be one of the best things that's going to happen to you in your life, because I think I needed that. I I I didn't need to go to jail. I mean, I promise you, the first time when we met with the FBI agents, there was two of them, and we talked in the office for about an hour. We went over all this stuff, and we walked out, and they said, you know, we're gonna have to put the handcuffs on you. They said we like you, we know you're a nice guy, and all that, but you know, our policy is. And when they put those handcuffs on me, I've never been handcuffed before, and I was thinking. If they would have just let me go right then, they would have never had any more problems out of me because being handcuffed was one of the most humiliating things that could ever happen to you. And I was rehabilitated right there. But, you know, that's not the way the justice system worked. But anyway. Right. Anyway. So, um, uh, a a lot of things happened uh, when I went to prison. I ended up going to prison for eight years and I went to school uh, eight years I went to college I got my uh, degree in theology and uh, you know I'm a preacher now and um, and I got my degree in small engine technology. I just went to school for eight years. That's what I did and uh, and it made a better person out of me it made me the man that I should have been, you know? And so uh, uh, what was, what the devil meant for bad, God made it good. And that's my testimony now. And I use that as my testimony that, you know, I, I tell people, like, you know, uh, we go, we all go through something. Everybody go through something. But the thing is, is that a lot of times we'll stop and wallow in it instead of going through it. Like you've got a tunnel you've got to go through and you get halfway through the tunnel and you stop and start walling in it. No, you've got to go through it. And the worst thing you can have is to try to deal with things on your own. You know, depression, I, I promise you, it will break you down like a shotgun. And so what you need to do is you need to talk to somebody. And I think that's what I needed to do. I needed to talk to someone uh, and I didn't because I thought, you know, hey, look, I'm an Army Ranger. I can do this. I'm harder than Superman's kneecaps, and I can do this. No, no, I'm I'm human, just like everybody else. You know, I got my faults, just like everybody else. Uh, but the thing is, is that is how you deal with. It. And if you got that stupid, foolish pride, it's gonna bring you down. Let me, let me put you this way: God can't use you when you're proud. If you know anything about multiplication on mathematics, when you have a fraction, you have to reduce it to its lowest common denominator before you can use it. So before God can use you, you need to be broke down to your lowest common denominator. Then he could use you. He can't use you while you're real proud. He can. Just like math, when you when you want to divide or multiply a fraction, you got to reduce it. And that's what happened. I got reduced. Best thing that ever happened to me. I turned those I turned those lemons into lemonade.
2: Yeah, you really turned the pretty much the most negative thing you could possibly think of. Obviously, eight years in, in prison, getting not getting caught, but you, you turned yourself in. But you turned that into such a positive. And it's so interesting that you say that. You know, you, it was the best thing that happened to you. Turn yourself in, because I'm sure when you're first going through it, that's not what you're thinking. But now that you went through it and you dealt with it and you, know, you came out on the other side a lot better than, than you originally started, it is crazy to think that that was actually a, a positive. You turn that unbelievable negative, you turn it into a positive.
1: Well, listen, let me tell you so many things. Yeah, you wouldn't believe how blessed I am right now. Dude, I am the most blessed person in the world not because I got a lot of things, but a lot of things, good things have happened to me, man. Everybody thinks when you blast or you, you got a lot of money. Yeah, I got a very, I got a very beautiful home. I got a very beautiful wife. But so many other things have happened. I've helped so many other people. I've talked to people. I've went to prison and talked to people uh, uh, and let them know that, hey, you know, uh, it's not where you start, it's where you finish, you know, and 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 to go in there and to talk. Go, I go to visit prisoners and, and talk to them about. There's, will you, will you come out on the other side of this? Is he's going to make you or break you? You know, I said people make mistakes. Everybody making mistakes. People make mistakes, but it's fools that don't learn from them. You could yep. tell a kid don't touch that stove is hot they don't get it they touch it one time and it burn them you never have to tell them again see we learn through two different methods we learn through repetition and we learn through the intensity of the event so touching that stove is pretty intense you never have to touch it, tell them again they'll walk past the stove and look at it and go hot they'll point at it and go hot they understand so my point is is that I am so blessed now listen. I'm a pilot now. Can you believe that?
2: Hmm. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it.
1: I'm just saying.
2: that. Mm-hmm. Let, let me put it this way. There
1: was, was five things in my life that I wanted to do. First of all, I wanted to jump out of an airplane. No, my first goal was to be a wrestler. I did that. My second thing I wanted to do was jump out of an airplane. The next thing I wanted to do was learn how to fly a helicopter. I did. I went to flight school, learned to fly a helicopter. Then I wanted to learn how to fly an airplane. I did that. And then I wanted to marry the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And I did that. So I've, I've done everything.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so would I tell you that I'm the luckiest guy in the world, the most blessed guy in the world, I mean it.
2: That is absolutely great, and as we head towards the finish line, so many great stories from you, so many things to learn from, so many kind of kind of just great things, and it. it's really going to be a, a quite a treat for the fans in Charlotte, North Carolina, for the gathering down there with KNS Wrestlefest to see. And of course, like I said before, kswrestlefest.weebly.com for all pre-order information. Ranger Ross is a rare guest, but. Looking back, uh, not only your wrestling career, but, you know, you're obviously a preacher now and just your life in general, what do you think is the lasting legacy of a Ranger Ross? Wrestling obviously included as well.
1: The lasting legacy?
2: hmm
1: Well, I, you know, I, I think you could say, well, you know, this guy went through a lot, but, man, he tried to help so many people. And so when I want them to put on my tombstone, here lies Ranger Ross, used up. <laughs> just use i tell god just use me just use me till you can't use me no more just use so i want to be on my headstone here lies ranger ross used up period
2: <laughs> now do you have do you have any regrets as far as wrestling like did you you're such a big fan you obviously you know you did so much but did you always wish she it could have been more, or could have been different, or, or things could have been a little bit changed as far as wrestling.
1: Yeah, I I I I, I worked so hard to 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 be the best. You know, I, I wanted to be like those guys that was, you know, when you very synonymous about you know who is the best worker. I, wa- I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be that guy that. They said, "Man, that guy could work. You know, he was a good worker." Uh, that was that was what I was really chasing after, and I, I know a lot of things went awry and all of that stuff. But it took all of that to make all of this. So, if I hadn't went through all of that, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. So, I I, I look back and I think what could have been, what should have been, what I thought it should have been. And and there's nothing I can do about it, so I don't even linger on it that much. Uh, but I, I I just look back and some of the friends, like matter of fact, just a couple of weeks ago I got a chance to see uh, Animal of the Road Warrior mm-hmm. and talk to him, man. And it was just like you know, you know me and him was great friends. And and I saw Tony Atlas and uh, the Rock and Roll Express. All of us, you know, we just like. Yeah, just like going back, you know, just like a, you know, old friends, you know. And I, I think that's one of the things that I miss most about wrestling was the the friends that I had. I had some good friends in there, you know. And now we all kind of spread out, and, you know. I get to see them every now and then at some of these events. But uh just want to say this. I'm going to be there on the 16th of August. I'm yeah. be in Charlotte. So make sure you tell everybody. And I'm going to be there on the 16th at 10 o'clock a.m. You come by, say hello to me. I'm I'm going to get up and hug. I'm going to take a picture with you, and I'm going to get up and hug you. I'm a hugger. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, that is a part of the huge, huge wrestling event, the Gathering. And it's going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Hilton uh, Charlotte University. Like I said before, kswrestlefest.weebly.com for your pre-order information. And, of course, you're going to be with K&S WrestleFest. And it'll be pretty good for you because there's about, I believe, almost 100 wrestlers there. So you'll have a lot of hugs kind of to give out there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, is like, it's it's good for me because I get to see a lot of my old buddies that I haven't seen in a while. And uh, so Yeah, they- yep. I, I'm all in for this. You know, I'm only going to be there for one day because uh, I have my actual family reunion on the 17th here oh, wow. in uh, Georgia.
2: Wow. So if it
1: wasn't for that, I would stay, stick around and see some of these guys, see some of the other guys.
2: <laughs> wow, that is that is crazy. You're going to have a quite uh, a busy weekend, uh, that is for sure. Now, please tell the, the fine folks and, and all the fans out there, where can they kind of find Ranger Ross these days? Is, you know do you have any sort of social media or website or anything like where can the fans kind of reach out and touch you?
1: Well, I am one of the rare guys. I am not on social media. I don't do social media, and then that's because you know it's just I've seen so many family members break up over social media and people following this, and somebody said this and said that, and I just like I don't want to be a part of that so to prevent from being on social media, I'm gonna go ahead and let the cat out the bag right now. I'm talking to you on my flip phone. <laughs> I don't, I don't have, uh, I don't have any uh, social media footprint. I don't have Facebook. I call it fake book. I'm not on Facebook, I'm not on uh, Snapchat and nothing like that. So I, I don't do any. Uh, so my suggestion is to come up to Charlotte and you can see me.
2: <laughs> that is uh, quite a request and i absolutely definitely definitely tell the fans definitely come find k Wrestlefest fest wherever they're at at the gathering and definitely come and meet ranger ross on the 16th of august they will just be there on friday like he said so that is going to be absolutely awesome it's going to be such a huge huge show and ranger ross thank you so much not only for your service but thank you so much for joining us and giving us all the time you gave us here tonight
1: Hey, listen, I, I got to tell you this, and um, you are a professional. I can tell the way you, you you ask the questions and the way you keep this thing moving. You did an excellent job, and any time you want me on the show, just call me. You got my number, yep. and people that are listening to this, y'all need to follow because he's good. He's good. And I appreciate you for having me on. And I thank you so much. And God bless you, my brother.
0: Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.